shit, wait, I'm not ready. Okay, go. I hate you. It's recording right now. I know. You're not the boss of me now, and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair, the Malcolm in the Middle podcast, where we watch every episode of Malcolm in the Middle, one by one, in order. Today, we watch Stock Car Racing, which aired April 2nd, 2000, was directed by Todd Holland, written by David <laughs> Richardson. Oh, there it goes. Damn it. I thought I was ready. Now I have to leave all that shit in at the beginning so that that makes sense. Thanks. I'm sorry. You don't have to leave any of that in. Just edit it all out, right? Uh, so before we look at this week's episode from a couple weeks ago, because we missed the last couple weeks due to David's illness. Yep, I got super sick. Which he still has going. Yeah. As you can hear. Yeah, the cough and the voice and all that. It's just so bad. But looking back at Lois versus Evil, we have our shittiest kid and least shitty kid polls to go over. So our options for shittiest kid, as you might recall, David, were <laughs> Francis, 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 or Francis. It was, a, it was a tough race, but Francis won it. Good for him. He was voted shittiest kid of the episode. Well, look at him. He finally won something. For least shitty, that vote was actually split between Reese and Malcolm. I can see that. Yeah, which were our votes as well. Yeah. You know what I just realized? What? I did not introduce myself at all. Oh, yeah. I even had a thing, like, we didn't introduce we ourselves didn't introduce at ourselves. all. We did I even had a thing planned for it. Man, I fucked this all up. You did. I'm Jake, but you can call me Clyde. And I'm David, otherwise known as Olaf Mortensen of Wheatville, Montana. <laughs> Pretty easy week for introductions. There were a lot of known to jairs. There were, and it was great. <laughs> I figured you were going to use one of the boys', so I went with Francis. Fair enough. I also considered that one. <laughs> it was pretty great. <laughs> I also kind of want to Google to see if there's a Wheatville, Montana, but I don't want to ruin the mystery. Also kind of just wanted to say mystery with my voice like this. It's the only time I get to sound like one of those movie announcer guys. So the cold open uh, starts with Malcolm and Reese sitting on the couch watching TV. Then Dewey comes up. Reese calls him... Uh, what does he call him? I didn't write it down. Does he call him a monkey? I honestly don't remember. It's a very specific insult that, that now I can't remember. But Reese insults Dewey. So Dewey starts punching himself and screaming, Reese, stop it. Ow, ow, Reese. <laughs> Stop, Reese, stop, as he is progressively pounding his chest harder. Yes, uh, until Lois hears and begins yelling at Reese. Then the cold open ends with Malcolm turning to camera and saying, I gave him that one. Yep, which I mean, bravo, Malcolm. <laughs> but also, I like that Dewey does it enough, too, so that Reese, like, flips out and, like, grabs his arms right as Lois comes into the room. Yeah, and getting on to the actual episode we've got the typical three plot line structure the a plot being as the title would imply trip to the stock car races the b plot starting around lois cleaning and the f plot of course being francis and his continued struggle with commandant spangler ah uh, yes we get to see the, the commandant again not just hear of him uh, so let's go ahead and start with that plot line Alrighty. Let's start with Francis, who has a better week this week than last yeah. week. Yeah, he's not a piece of shit. Well, <laughs> but Francis' plotline starts with him playing pool, a bunch of the seniors. I didn't double check. I, I suspect they're the seniors from a couple episodes ago. I also did not look. The something of the apocalypse. I don't remember what they're called. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, what was that dumb cult name? The Brothers of Apocalypse. There we go. I think it was them. I'm not 100% sure, but they 
kind of lightly bully Francis as they pass. Francis doesn't react in any way, which Stanley congratulates him on uh, and tells him they'll get bored of him in a couple months at this rate. Then, as they sit down across the room, Francis adjusts his angle on the cue ball, has the realization that his mother's right, he does get off on putting himself into trouble, essentially. And he launches the cue ball across the room, hitting one of them in the head. Uh, I'll also need to point out, he is smoking through this entire scene as he's playing pool. Also, I just looked it up, Jake, and at the very least, the ringleader is different. Okay, but the cue ball hits one of them in the head. They get up, and it seems like they're about to go after Francis, but they're interrupted as Commandant Spangler comes in with a dog which we'll find out later is named Patton. Yes, the Jack Russell Terrier. Yes, it's specifically a Jack Russell Terrier. Its face is like always in like half of a snarl. Uh, it's very weird. Yeah, I mean, not really. I've had little dogs. It seems on par. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. But Commandant Spangler, when everyone uh, lines up and assumes position, he sm- says he smells smoke and he brings the dog around to each cadet uh, so that the dog can sniff out who's been smoking. And of course, when it gets to Francis, it starts growling at him. It specifically barks. It growls at all the cadets. Francis is forced to move his foot, revealing the cigarette underneath it. And Spangler gives him a little speech about how much of a fuck-up he is. And he punishes everyone by taking away their hot water for the next month and tells the rest of the cadets that they can thank Francis for this punishment when he leaves. And he leaves, uh, fades to black, and we hear punching sounds and Francis saying, ow. Ah, yes. Corporal community punishment. Did you order the code red? When we come back to Francis, he is in his room with Stanley, where it's revealed that... Francis didn't take too much of a beating because Stanley stepped in. <laughs> Stanley's given him worse so that he could get out of, uh... Rifleman practice? There we go. Yeah. But Francis, of course, is already up to more shenanigans as he uh, reveals that he has a suitcase in which he is keeping a giant snake. Which and... feels like a very Francis-sized reveal, I mean. Yeah. Francis feeds the snake a mouse, explains to Stanley that this snake isn't just a snake, it's a symbol of Francis's freedom, and Stanley weighs things. On one hand, he knows Francis is going to get caught, and they're going to get in trouble for it, even though he didn't do anything. But on the other hand, it's a snake, and apparently Stanley likes snakes. I mean, he's a teenage boy. And? I was a teenage boy, I didn't like snakes. Snakes are cool. Snakes are cool. Snakes are cool. <laughs> you, I hate you so much. You <laughs> like snakes. No, snakes aren't cool. I hate you. <laughs> so much. You definitely like snakes when we were younger. No, Smith. I hate you. I don't know what you're talking about, David. It's fake news. I'm gonna throw something at you. <laughs> I really wish that this wasn't just an audio podcast so that the viewers or listeners would be viewers in that case, could see how full of shit you are right now. Cause your face is giving you away. It doesn't matter though, David. They can't see me. I hate you. This is the sound of deceit. This is what he sounds like, asshole. (laughs) Anyways, the snake, of course, gets out. Uh, As a matter of fact, we immediately, as that first scene introducing the snake ends, we see the lid lifting as they leave the room. (laughs) Then when they come back, they realize that the snake is missing. And as soon as they do, they hear the sound of Spangler uh, screaming. (laughs) Patton, no. (laughs) And then we, you hear gunshots. Oh, God, why? <laughs> and it's immediately obvious, though they'll spell it out in the next scene, that the snake has gotten loose and eaten Spangler's uh, pet dog. 
Yes. Who, by the way, we forgot to mention, while Spangler is dressing down uh, Francis, he 100% just shits on this dog, but then basically tells Francis that the dog is dumb and an asshole, but he knows obedience, and Francis should aspire to be more like the dog. Yeah, Spangler's rant to Francis there is brutal it is he, he tells him he'll never be successful in life or in the armed services <laughs> he just destroys this teenage boy <laughs> i mean he tries francis seems unfazed well fair he, he's heard way worse from lois yes see the problem is is that he didn't close it and crash down on him within the window yes <laughs> he was too far in the future uh, the next time we see Francis, he is on the phone with Lois, trying to book a flight home before Spangler can get a hold of him. In fact, he's already booked it. He just needs her credit card. Lois not only refuses, but tells him he's better off there for reasons we'll get to. Yeah, that was pretty great. Then, to end Francis's plotline for the episode, we get another scene of the cadets lined up uh, with Spangler trying to figure out who was responsible for letting the snake loose. He reveals that he took a shot at the snake, but missed due to his lack of depth perception. Yeah. Also, there's a part that I want to talk about, but we'll wait until after the summary. There's some questions raised after his monologues in this. Okay, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. But when no one steps forward to confess, he goes to Francis, holds out his hand, showing snake droppings that he found in Francis's footlocker, revealing that he knows Francis is responsible, and he gives all of the cadets a curfew and a couple other things I don't remember and tells them to thank Francis when he leaves and when he leaves the cadets sort of circle around Francis but uh instead of beating him up this time they cheer because they also hated Patton which I could see yes because something else to add is when uh when Commandant Spangler had Patton and like set him down he immediately went to biting the Commandant on the ankle and like just digging his teeth in and shaking, and Commandant Spangler literally dragged this dog out of the room with its teeth still sunk into his ankle. Patton was an asshole. Like, I love dogs, but this dog was a dick. Yeah. Not saying he deserved to be eaten. I'm just saying. I suppose. Then let's move to Lois's plot, which is probably the simplest this time around. I would agree. It's, it is the simplest, but it is so good. So the inciting instant for Lois's plot line is she can't find her check. She goes looking for it. She starts tearing through the house. But as she does this, uh, she starts finding evidence for everyone else in the house of various wrongdoings. And collecting it by name. Yes, she's making each person a pile. And I, I like that Hal's pile is just as big as all of the boys. Yeah, but I also, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Then Miss Miller shows up because she's concerned about Malcolm, who she says hasn't shown up for class the entire week. And she thinks it's because they are doing dancing and she thinks that Malcolm is ashamed of his body. <laughs> to which Lois quickly corrects her and says that she doesn't know anything about teenage boys. And then educates her on the fact that they're incapable of thinking more than three minutes into the future. Yeah, then the rest of this plot line is essentially Miss Miller and Lois sort of bonding. As Lois teaches her her philosophy and they drink together, Lois reveals that she didn't dream of being a mother. She dreamt of being a blackjack dealer at an Indian casino. Yep. That was her big dream. She wanted to go uh, deal blackjack specifically on a reservation. She couldn't though. 
stubby thumbs. And Miss Miller reveals that uh, she doesn't have anything in her life except her cats and her shower head. Bob. Lois's plotline pretty much ends there with her and Miss Miller drinking together. Yeah, until Lois confronts them when they come home. She doesn't really confront them, though. She's just sort of standing there. Right. It's the look, Jake. Fair. I've seen that look. That is a look that lets you know that the rest of your month is hers. <laughs> not yours. Not your dad's. Not your friend's. Not even God's. It's hers. You belong to me. I've seen that look growing up way too many times. Uh, but that just leaves the A plot. So before it gets to that properly, we do have a scene that kind of sets up Lois's plotline as well. It's just the family at breakfast. Lois is complaining about how many flyers Malcolm gets sent from his special class. And we get some typical Malcolm complaining about not wanting to be in his special class because he doesn't want to do the dancing. Reese is making fun of him. Because all the Krellboins have to square dance on the tetherball court in front of all the other kids. That seems like cruel and unusual punishment. But Reese makes the mistake in making fun of Malcolm of swearing, which leads Lois to grab a bottle of dish soap and put it in his mouth. To wash his mouth out, uh, which is not something that I ever experienced growing up, but I did see my mom do that to my sister. I had my mouth washed out once, I believe. It wasn't even by my mom. I think it was by your mom. That's possible. It was either your mom or one of my friend's mom, but I, I have tasted soap exactly once and that was enough. I never have. I imagine it's my group. They didn't use liquid dish soap, thank God. Jesus. That is horrible. And then she makes him rinse with it. Yeah. Like, swirl it around, now spit. <laughs> like, uh, God. At the end of all of this, Hal offers to drive the boys to school. And he talks about how important it is to him so that Malcolm will go along. Because Malcolm doesn't want to go with because he wants to ditch school again. But once they get out to the car, Hal reveals that he has no intention of taking them to school. They are wild men. They're rebels. He takes them to the stock car races instead. Yeah, sadly. Gotta admit, Hal lost some points in my book on this episode. For being a NASCAR fan? That's right. That's a very dad thing to be. Look, I'm a dad. Ain't no fucking way. You'll get there. No. Yeah, just wait. Ten years from now? If I ever watch NASCAR, you have my permission to just kill me. Okay. Okay. But specifically there, there, it's not just any stock car race. It is Rusty Malcolm's final race, which is Hal's favorite NASCAR driver. And it's who Malcolm is named after. Which we find out that uh, originally Francis and Reese were going to be named Malcolm, but it took Hal two kids to win the argument. That's right. Initially, the boys are very excited about it. Uh, they cheer as the first lap in. Stewie yells... He won! Malcolm won! And Hal explains, Oh no, son, that's just the pace lap. We have four hours of this left. <laughs> yes, much to the kid's dismay. And we get like a little... It's not even really a montage. It, well, kind of. It's kind of a montage. It's it's like an overlay montage. Yeah. Um, I, I Which kind of makes it better because like one shot fades into the other which sort of gives you this sense of passing of time and i love the way they end it with dewey marking off the first lap yes <laughs> they make it seem like 
all four hours have gone by. You're seeing Reese pull his shirt over his head and cover his head. Dewey and Malcolm have like newspaper and stuff over their head, blocking the sun. They're acting like it has been the whole race and it is the first lap. The boys ask if they can go get soda. Hal lets them, but he gives them his ID so that they can buy him a beer as well. Ah, uh, yes. You remember when that used to work? As they are going to get their drinks, Dewey, of course, disappears almost immediately, which Malcolm and Reese start fighting over whose fault it is, uh, who is supposed to be watching Dewey, which we've seen before. The fight that we've had so far about this is not how who watches Dewey, it's who walks with Dewey yeah, to school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, you're right. Yep, that was in the first episode, wasn't it? First or s- yeah. second, second. Nope, it's the first episode because Malcolm is walking, loses the argument, and he's walking with Dewey when they run into the school bully. Oh, yeah, the dude. picks on Malcolm. Okay, well, there you go. Ha, I win. Once. <laughs> Everybody gets one. So as Malcolm and Reese are looking for Dewey, they first get sidetracked as Reese finds a half-eaten hot dog on the ground, which he picks up and eats. Uh, so gross. <laughs> yes, <laughs> to which you verbally said, and as we were watching the episode, ew. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's fucking the grossest thing, by the way. That beats raw meat and bubblegum. Uh, agreed. Out the park. <laughs> yep. Uh, so gross. <laughs> then, immediately after that, any hope of them looking for Dewey is gone as they see a door, which doesn't just say, do not enter, it says forbidden. Uh, Reese makes the case, <laughs> if it says forbidden, there must be something bitching behind that door. And Malcolm can't refute his logic. It cuts straight from that to Reese and Malcolm in the security officer room. <laughs> Yeah, they're in the security office, and Malcolm has a torque wrench, like, wrapped into his shirt, and it's a pneumatic one. <laughs> oh, God. And notably, the security guard we get here is played by uh, Joel McKinnon Miller. I was about to ask if you had his name, because yeah. I actually know his name. Also, you said his name wrong. It's Scully. Yes, also known <laughs> as Scully from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I also think I said Scully out loud when he showed up on screen. You did. Look, when I get sick, no filter. There's no internal thoughts. It's just all out. Gotta but save that brain power. Malcolm and Reese, uh, after a little sidebar to discuss uh, what fake names they're going to be using, the security guard comes up and he's very nice to them and he's talking about how he was their age once and you know they, they didn't really break anything or cause any major problems so he's gonna let them off with a warning and then reese punches him in the balls <laughs> yes they try to run away but the door to the office is locked so they are trapped there having ruined their chances of getting off with a warning reese is a real intelligent young man and also i feel like we would have been friends with him growing up probably yeah Look, Jake and I had to surround ourselves with shittier people so that we weren't the shittiest people. It's easier than being good people. Exactly. But it goes back to how at this point he is still watching the race. <laughs> he has a little daydream about working in the pit crew. As the water boy in the pit crew. Yes. I get the impression this is his big dream that he never got to do in the same way that Lois never got to be a blackjack dealer. Yep. Blackjack dealer and NASCAR water boy. That's a match made in Kentucky. Yes, but as Hal comes out of his 
little daydream. He realizes <laughs> that the boys are still missing. Then he starts looking around for them. And as he has his back turned looking around, uh, we see where Dewey has gone. As he walks across the starting line, as the race is going, as the cars are going by. Yeah, and this little angel of a human being is somehow dodging these NASCAR cars and just running across. Yeah, and in his defense, that starting line does kind of look like a crosswalk. It does. It it literally, especially the one that they use there... Oh my god, it definitely looks like walk across. The crowd is reacting to Dewey walking across <laughs> with, with gasps and screams. Hal turns around just as Dewey steps out of sight, trying to figure out what he's missed, <laughs> thinking it's something to do with the race. Yes, and then he asks, did Rusty do something? Oh, I missed it. Then we see Hal uh, leaving as the race is finished. He's stepping out of the wherever they do NASCAR stuff. The track, the stadium, the arena. (laughs) See, stadium and arena came to head and it was like, no, that's not right. That's not where they do that. No, it's called a track. It's a track. Yeah. 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 Don't look at me all judgmental like that. I'm I'm, I'm looking at you real judgmental. (laughs) I I take pride in not knowing that. (laughs) Look, I also don't like NASCAR, but I understand what the fuck a track is. Look, I don't drive or run. What would I do with a track? It's a waste of time. I don't even know what to say to you right now. I said, those are the things you do at a track. Those aren't the only... You know what? Never mind. What else do you do at a track? Did you just skip field and track day because you were like, that's a lot of running? I tried. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Jake. But as Hal steps out of the track, uh, he's looking around for the boys. Dewey immediately finds him. Walks up. uh, He he asks Dewey where Reese and Malcolm are. And Dewey points over to the security guard who is holding them by their collars. Hal uh, walks up, immediately understanding what has happened. And the security guard explains that uh, these are the two worst people he's ever had to deal with. And he works the county fair. Hal starts off by saying, oh, that must be interesting. Meet all these different people, all these different backgrounds. Then he acts like he's going to pay the security guard. He pulls out his wallet. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Instead, Hal kicks him in the shin. <laughs> he yells out the fake names that Reese and Malcolm had established before. Yes. Further establishing that these are their go-to <laughs> fake names and that Hal knows about it. And then he picks up Dewey. <laughs> and they all run away as a family. Yep. Crime partners. <laughs> <laughs> then they pull in. Malcolm explains that this is the coolest thing he's ever seen their dad do. Hal is explaining to the boys that they need to keep all of this a secret and he's throwing all the stuff from the day away and the outside trash can where he finds Lois's check and they go inside where Lois is waiting, standing by the piles of evidence she has gathered. Yep. I think now is a good time to mention, by the way. I don't know. You're a proprietor of the X-Files and those older uh, fun shows. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but you know what brand of uh, cigarettes all these older shows used? Uh, I can't remember the name. It's the same one they use in Pulp Fiction, though. I know yes, what you're talking about. It is a, it's a, it, exactly, it's a fake cigarette brand, yeah. and it's Morley's. Oh, okay, yeah. The cigarettes that she found <laughs> and that are sitting in there are Morley's, which I just, I, I happen to recognize primarily from Pulp Fiction, and then I also remember that they use them in X-Files. So it was cool to see that. Yeah, uh, they actually used Morley cigarettes in an earlier episode. One of the episodes where Francis is smoking. I think the Crowboy Picnic. That doesn't surprise me. I did not catch it then. Yeah, you can see the label sitting there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's the go-to fake cigarette brand. Fair. So with that, let's go to our awards. Fair enough. 
my first award actually ties into that last scene. My roller skating keen award. The award <laughs> we give to uh, a best visual moment or gag in the episode. For me, it's as they're walking in and Hal's explaining that the day needs to be a secret. Not only does he have what is very clearly like a visor sunburn on his face, but <laughs> because it's a NASCAR branded visor, the word NASCAR is literally sunburned into his forehead. That is 100% what I wrote down, by the way. That was my best visual moment. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah, he's all beat red his face is sunburnt and then he's got the clear visor line and then yeah it just it literally is stamped on his forehead from sunburn nascar <laughs> there is no hiding that no <laughs> my honorable mention by the way was that little montage of the first lap i liked the way they did that it really made it feel like a lot of time was passing it was really good that was also my runner-up nice <laughs> for the best piece of dialogue from the episode. What did you have for best line? So I had two written down because like as they came up, obviously, <laughs> I'm going to go with the second one because I think it trumps the first one. But the first one raises some questions for me. <laughs> so the, the one that I'm going to give the award to, the best line, is I believe you lost that finger starting the school lawnmower, which is said by Francis when Commandant Spangler holds out his hand, his non-hook hand, <laughs> in Francis's face and asks him what does he see and there's clearly a missing ring finger. And he responds that way. Commandant Spangler then reveals, no, it's snake droppings that we found in your footlocker. I just love that. It also ties into the other one, so I'm going to talk about that for a second. And it kind of paints Commandant Spangler as, like, this accident-prone dude. Which is good to know, because my previous one was, I never had the pleasure to serve in combat. Wait up, hold a minute, Commandant Spangler. How the fuck did you get all those wounds? They portray this dude as, like, the grizzled combat veteran who knows all about the military, who has been just beaten up by war. Yeah. And then in this episode, you find out that he never actually served in combat. He is what my military friends would call a pogue. That stands for person other than grunt, by the way. How the fuck did he lose his hand? What happened to his eye? Why is his leg in that brace? What did he do? Like, did he lose his eye making fucking muffins for the school bake sale? Did he fall down the stairs and break his leg? Like, I need to know the history of Commandant Spangler now. Spinoff. That's right. Uh, so my best line also comes from the Francis plot line, <laughs> but it actually comes from Stanley. After they discover that the snake is missing... <laughs> He takes a moment to try to decide if he's angry at Francis, and he says, Wait, I'm trying to see if I'm inspired by its symbolic bid for freedom. Nope, I'm just pissed. Yep. That line was delivered so well, too. Yeah. It's it's like this deep glare, like downward look, because the, the frame is facing upwards towards them. And then he looks over at Francis as if to relay through body language and words both. Fuck you. So since we've sort of been talking about it, the A plot of my heart this time around is the F plot. Although I like, I had a hard time with that choosing one in this one. I liked them all about the same. They were all pretty good, but I actually went with Lois's. Okay. Even though neither of those were <laughs> uh, my best line or my visual was from it. I can only imagine at times if my mom had done that to our house. Or worse, my bedroom. But yeah, no, the, the lowest plot line was great. Also, this is the first one where I actually like start liking his teacher, <laughs> Miss Miller. Also, you just, you get that great 
Lois does not have that many lines, realistically. But you get to see some really interesting interactions. And I love the face that she makes at the end of the, the her plot line where they all walk in. I have seen that face. I know what it means. I was in trouble a lot growing up. I, I had to go with Lois just because all the different shit that she found, too. Like the nudie mag and... Well, the nudie mag, speaking of which, it actually gets one of my awards. So that's oh. what I gave my OK Boomer Award. The award that we give to a moment or detail or line from the episode that sets it firmly within <laughs> its time. Nice. Just the existence of, of the actual magazine of a porn one. Magazine. Yes. I, I could not find uh, that it was a actual brand of a porn magazine, but uh, just the existence of it. My OK Boomer was the amount of times the phrase bitchin' was used in this episode. I have not heard that in casual conversation since the late 90s, early th 2000s. Uh, when I was in high school, it was like, it was back ironically. Nobody ever said it to me around that time, <laughs> thank God. Like, literally the last time, I, I had to stop and think about it. The last time I can think about that, like, being used regularly was by either our friend Jason, which friend is a loose term, but uh, or your dad. Fair enough. Right around that timeline, so. Who did you have for favorite character, David? My most liked character for this episode was Stanley. Okay. Again, this was the one that took me a little bit. I had to toss it up. Hal lost a lot of points for being a NASCAR fan. Otherwise, it probably would have been him. Francis, I really liked. Lois, I loved. It, it was almost Lois, but... Your favorite line, that that section, how he interacts, and then the interaction where uh, Francis is kind of running off, spouting off, and he's like, yeah, I owe you one, and he just looks at him like, bitch, please, and says, one? It is clear that Stanley is starting to get fed up with always having to save Francis. Yeah. And I like that we finally get to see him as more than just the giant Hulk who protects Francis. Yeah. Uh, see, I had Stanley as my runner up. Uh, because I honestly thought you were going to take my first one. Because I chose Spangler as my favorite character of the episode. Fair. Oddly enough, I did not. I did not have Spangler. Uh, but just from <laughs> learning that he has all these injuries despite having never been in war, for having a cocker spanner named Patton. Did you just call him a cocker spanner? Yeah, I did. It's a Jack Russell Terrier. I did. <laughs> it was a Jack Russell Terrier. Well, fair. Poor Patton, God rest his soul. Brave dog. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to lie, I went to Spanner in my mind because that's close to Spangler. <laughs> nice. <laughs> These words are close, they must be related. If it rhymes, it must be true. I wish I could say that was the first time he said that to me. I it's say not. it constantly. You do. <laughs> If Flava Flav ever runs for president, you're going to be the only jackass fucking voting for him. How dare you? Because his whole platform is going to rhyme. Yeah. I'm not saying I want to vote for him. I'm saying how dare you think he would only get one vote. Oh my god. I hate you. That just leaves us with our final pair of awards. Ah, yes. Least shitty kid and shittiest kid. Uh, who did you have for shittiest kid, David? Reese. Correct. That was the grossest thing ever, <laughs> eating that fucking hot dog that someone else had eaten and then dropped on the concrete, like, walkway at a NASCAR event. Ugh. Oh, my God. Like, yep. that disgusted me. Yep. Right, Malcolm does literally every, the exact same things as Reese, other than, one, punching the security guard in the balls. Right. Which, even that, I could look fast. And two, eating the hot dog <laughs> off of the ground, which I could not. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, he punched Scully in the balls, which Scully did not deserve. 
And two, he ate the gross, nasty fucking... Oh, See, I had the opposite reaction because it was Scully. I was like, yeah, it's fine that he punched him in the balls. It's Scully. Who did you have for least shitty game? I think we all know by now. I wanted to say Dewey. Okay. But I couldn't because of the cold open. Okay. So it's Malcolm. Interesting. <laughs> because for once... Oh. How dare you? <laughs> Dewey is a sweet, innocent angel. <laughs> He was just preemptively protecting himself from Reese, who called him a mean name. I hate you <laughs> so much. Dewey did nothing wrong, David. I almost had Dewey. He was almost my... But I, I couldn't make an argument in my head that was strong enough against you to defend him being the least shitty kid. Because I knew that if I voted for him, you were going to bring up the fucking cold open... Which is the only thing wrong he does. And it's actually Malcolm's fucking fault. So I agree, Dewey's a fucking angel. <laughs> Are you changing your vote to Dewey, David? I can't officially, because I wrote down Malcolm and I'm a man of integrity. But fuck you. He's always the least shitty kid in my heart. I agree, he's least shitty. I don't know why you hate him so much, I David. I hate you so much. You should seriously die in a fire right now. <laughs> <laughs> i hate you oh so that wraps up our awards before we wrap things up we do have trivia which i have the last clip from the intro to go over it is an interesting one and it is another one that i recognize without having to look it up aside from like the date and stuff right but it is the clip of a boxer knocking out the referee ah yes uh, which comes from the infamous 1982 boxing match between Pedro Cardenas and Willie DeWitt. Interesting thing about that fight, that's not the only referee who gets knocked out of that fight. <laughs> what? Oh my god. Uh, so, like I said, it's like a, a pretty infamous boxing match, uh, which, as a kid, I was like really into classic boxing. I, I still watch like modern boxing occasionally, but I know way more about boxing from before I was born than modern boxing that sounds about right but essentially willie dewitt was just kicking the shit out of him and pedro cardenas was sort of wildly swinging uh both times he hit the ref it was a left hook uh basically trying to get in like a lucky shot because it was his only chance of winning right uh so in the first round uh it's the one that we see in this clip he goes for a left hook uh as the referee is stepping into break them apart because he's up against the ropes right and as he steps in like you see in the clip he hits him with the left hook and just drops the referee uh, because of this they took that referee out to get medical attention <laughs> and they put in a uh, replacement ref uh, which even like just looking at the match you can tell like this is the guy who's there to be the ref for a smaller weight class as they generally try to have like bigger referees for the bigger guys in case something like this happens right but yeah, then uh, later in the match, in the second round, I believe, he's once again, almost the exact same scenario. Uh, he's been forced up against the ropes. Uh, he's sort of wildly sweeting out, and the referee goes in to break them up, and he once again throws a left hook. And uh, it's not quite as direct, but it's like a glancing blow straight in this smaller referee's face, and he also just drops. At least he's consistent, Jake. Uh, but unsurprisingly, uh, DeWitt would then win later in that same round where the second referee got knocked out. Fair. Well, yeah, there's no one to stop him from pinning him up against the ropes and just beating the crap out of him. Yeah. <laughs> we knocked out all the refs. But that is the last clip. I actually have an interesting little thing. 
Okay. That I don't know if you know about this or not, because I only know about it because my uh, sister and brother-in-law were in a NASCAR. So I find it interesting that Malcolm hates NASCAR, which, right choice, good on you, Malcolm, because Frankie Muniz actually really likes NASCAR and racing, and actually, after this show, took a break from acting to pursue a career in racing. Uh-huh. Um, which I didn't know if you knew or not. I did. Okay. Uh, I didn't bring it up because there is a dark ending to that. There is, yeah. yeah he, he got major brain damage from racing. I know. I wasn't uh, going to go that far into it. I figured it. I mentioned that there's a dark ending to that. I probably should say what it is. Yeah. But it just goes to show. NASCAR has nothing to offer. I'd agree. It only gives bad things. Stock car racing, horrible. Yeah. Uh, there goes all our Kentucky viewers. Don't kid yourself, David. They don't have the internet. Oh, rough. Jesus, just because you got family there. Uh, so that wraps up this episode. Thanks for listening. If you would like to get in touch with us or vote in our weekly polls for Shittiest and Least Shitty Kid, you can find us on Twitter where we are at unfair underscore podcast, or you can reach us by email where we are lifeisunfairpodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you like the banter here and want to watch us play video games, support our content, and also just sort of hang out with us while we play different games, you can go to twitch.tv slash lpdeathray. That's where we uh, stream video games. You can also catch them on our YouTube channel. Just search Let's Play Death Ray. And remember, life is unfair. Ah, Pepsi.